Presbyterian Church, and I know that there are a lot of you out there that don't normally attend. And the reason, in part, is because you live elsewhere and you are here for a special occasion, the homecoming at Montreat Anderson College. I just think it would be nice if all of you who are alumni of Montreat Anderson, and uh, even if you live here in this area, but all of you that are alumni or are here for that special event, why don't you all stand? Let's see where you are, who you are. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Well, we welcome you here, and uh, we're, we're delighted especially that uh, the weather did not turn out to be a typical Montreat welcome. <laughs> Sometimes it rains a bit here from time to time, but we're glad, and we hope that you've had a good weekend here, and we welcome you. The activities of the church, we look so organized, it's amazing, but here they are in this blue thing in your bulletin, and particularly inside, you'll see the events during this week. And then on one side of the blue sheet, you also will see some of the major events that you'll want to highlight uh, during the months of October and November. Coming up toward the Christmas season, it's a very active time. Just one other thing that I want to say by way of announcement, and it also indirectly has to do with November and Thanksgiving and the time coming up to Christmas, that is the fact that the discovery books from Scripture Union are available, and they're back in the back. We encourage you to take these if you've not, uh, particularly if you've not had an opportunity. We met just a few moments ago to uh, prepare our hearts for communion, and at that time we discussed a particularly moving situation that has happened in uh, our area. Uh, a couple last July with their little boy driving uh, here had an automobile wreck in uh, which there was uh, the father in the family was terribly disabled. Uh, our church has looked into their needs and uh, the needs are very great. They do not have any wood for fuel for the winter. The children's shoes are worn out. Uh, there is a great need that exists there and so we're going to try to help. Uh, at the close of the service today, we'll take what is called a retiring offering as you leave, and that offering in its entirety will be given to assist this family until uh, they can receive the appropriate government aid. Thank you. We will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. We will pay our vows unto the Lord now in the presence of his people. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for the special occasion that draws us together as we come humbly and openly to this thy table. Our Lord, we pray that in our hearts thou wouldst take away all that would distract us Help us to face the reality of our sin and help us, our Father, to come to the Savior in a fresh way. And so, our God, we pray for thy blessing upon our time together, that through thy word and through this thy sacrament, that thou wouldst speak to us and send us forth as men and women who serve thee and are light and salt in this generation. 
Father, all of this we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray together, saying, Our Our Father, this morning we do not come to thee out of form or out of habit, not simply because it is the custom to do so in the middle of a church service, but we come to thee today because thou art the living God. Thou art the one who inhabiteth eternity. Thou art the one who has created us and knows us and loves us. And because, our Father, thou hast known us and loved us, now has shown thy love to us in Jesus Christ, we have boldness to come before thy throne of grace because of the mercy that he has given us in Christ. So, Father, we come to thee today. We come to thee as thy children, to our Heavenly Father, thanking thee that we can truly say, Our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, we come on this special day as we remember what thou hast done for us in Jesus Christ. All too often we say those words, all too often we forget the meaning of them, that thou hast come down from heaven. And as we have just said, for our men, for us men, and for our salvation, became incarnate and died for us and rose again on the third day. Lord, as we come to this, thy table, speak to us again of the issues of eternity. Help us to understand our total dependence upon thee for our salvation. And we thank thee, Father, that as we come to this table and as we focus our attention on thee, that thou art at work in our hearts to renew us and restore us to send us forth as thy people. Lord, you know the things that crowd into our minds, each one of us. There are concerns that we have. Some of them seem trivial to other people, but they are not to us. Some of them, Father, are so overwhelming that we hardly know what the future would hold. Lord, teach us what it means to cast all of our cares upon thee, knowing that thou carest for us. And so we do pray for ourselves and the needs that we have. And even now, in these moments, we would silently bring before you the concerns of our hearts. Lord, as we would pray for ourselves, we would pray also for others who face particular needs. We remember those who are in the nursing home who cannot be with us. We remember those who are listed and others that are known to us who face special problems because of health or financial reversal or whatever the situation may be. We remember particularly this family who was called to our attention this morning. We do not understand why calamities like this happen. And yet, our Father, we know that part of the reason may be so that we can share their pain and help them in some way by sharing the love of Christ with them. So, Father, we pray that thou wouldst work in that situation and help us to be an encouragement and a blessing to them and to others who suffer and hurt as we go in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for our world. That sounds so general, and yet all around us we see tragedy. 
We think of those in India who have suffered because of the loss of life there in the earthquake. We know what a hard life they face anyway. And we pray that somehow, through the ministry of your servants, that thou wouldst work in that situation, even if we do not understand why the suffering takes place, but that somehow thou wouldst cause people to turn to thee through this and to find from thee all that they need. Lord, we know there is war and tragedy all over the world. We pray particularly for the situation in Moscow, even as we see it on the television screens. And we pray for the Brunsons as they are there from our congregation, representing Jesus Christ and seeking to minister in his name. And we pray in the social turmoil there that they might have fruitful ministry as others would seek the only sure foundation that there is in life, which is Jesus Christ. Now, our Father, we commit this service to Thee. We ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, convict us, draw our attention to greater truth. And then, our Father, as we come to this Thy table, bind us together in unity, unity with each other, and unity with Thee. For we pray in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. Let us stand, please. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we do praise you for the gift of our Redeemer. We thank you that in him all your promises are yea and amen. And therefore we pray that thou wilt bless the gifts which we bring for his glory for the relief of distress, for the preaching of the gospel, for the work of the kingdom. And we ask that you will superintend the use of all of these that they might truly glorify you. And now in the moments that we have to come to an understanding of a part of thy word, we pray for the gracious assistance of the Holy Spirit and ask that he will lead us into a deeper knowledge of Christ and into a more faithful obedience to him. Make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I want to express my appreciation to the choir for singing a folk song which has meant a lot to me down through the years. I wanted to explain it to you a moment ago, but it's a little difficult for me to get up and down as much as I'd like to. Many years ago, I came to Western North Carolina, and I came here in the year that there was a devastating killing frost that killed all of the apple trees uh, for that year, all of the blossoms that were coming out. Many of the trees and many of the orchard people went broke. There was a man over in Haywood County, Richard Barber, the owner of the William Tell Apple Company. And Dick came by to see me. And we started going fishing, and we talked about the Lord, and we talked about apple trees. I learned that that was the king of fruits, that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of varieties of apples, and that they went back all the way to ancient times. 
One of my grandchildren fascinated me later by talking to me about a man by the name of Jonathan Chapman, who around 1800 went into the Ohio Valley and became known as Johnny Appleseed, a strange person who was like an Old Testament prophet who went around with a Bible stuck in his belt and apple seeds and apple sprouts, uh, which he gave to people. And then I began to think one day about the analogy which I'd read about in this hymn, which really came out of Scotland and made its way into New Hampshire and then finally into the mountains of Appalachia. If you stop and think of an orchardist, you know, you may think of Jesus under those metaphors and figures that mean the most to you, the pearl of great price. We call him the root of David. Uh, he is indeed the tree of life. He is salvation. The tree of life my soul has seen. That is the whole meaning of life. Laden with fruit and always green. The trees of nature fruitless be compared with Christ, the apple tree. His beauty doth all things excel. By faith I know, but ne'er can tell the glory which I now can see in Jesus Christ, the apple tree. Look at this. For happiness I long have sought, and pleasures dearly I have bought. I missed of all, but now I see. Tis found in Christ, the apple tree. I'm with my, weary with my former toil. Here I will sit and rest a while. Under the shadow I will be of Jesus Christ, the apple tree. This fruit doth make my soul to thrive. It keeps my dying faith alive, which makes my soul in haste to be with Jesus Christ, the apple tree. I can understand why my old friend Dick Barber loved this hymn. He had me give him many copies of it over the years, and I appreciate the choir singing it for us this morning. There's another great metaphor. It's really a mixed metaphor that Jesus uses in the 10th chapter of John, and I've printed that scripture for you in your bulletin. Look at it. In the New American Standard Translation, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, that's a somewhat feeble translation of those words there, which in the Old King James said, Verily, verily. But those words, too, do not convey the real meaning of these words. The word comes from a transliteration, a letter-by-letter -letter transfer of a word in Hebrew, which says, Amen. Amen. And maybe the best way to put it would be to paraphrase it by saying, I assure you, I solemnly assure you. Now these, this meant that the words which Jesus now speaks might be written in stone, for they're a solemn measure of truth. I assure you, I solemnly assure you. He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. And the stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock, with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Now let me put this into a context so you will understand more clearly the meaning of it. In John chapter 9, Jesus had healed a man that had been blind from birth. You remember the healing that he made of this man was to take some spittle and to make mud and put it on this man's eyes. And he sent him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And you can almost feel the great emotion that John paints for us when he records what took place. The man went and washed this mud off his face. And when he came back, he was seen. Now there were religious leaders who did not like Jesus and his assertions that he was the Messiah, the one who was to come from God. One of the predictions about the Messiah was that he would make the blind to see. And here was an especially moving and powerful demonstration of that great miracle. For Jesus took a man who had never seen the blue sky, a man who had never seen the sunshine. He had never seen a green tree or the face that was connected with the voices that spoke about him. And I'm sure that when that man was walking with that mud on his face toward the pool of Siloam, that there might have been cynics who spoke to him as cynics speak to us today. 
And they said, hey, crazy man, what are you doing with mud on your face? Don't you know that's unsanitary? You're going to wash in the pool of Siloam. You believed what that crazy man told you? And I've often thought that that blind man who had a great deal of courage must have said to them, what have I got to lose? I've never seen anything in all my life. You can say what you want to. I'm going to do what he told me to do. And he went and washed, and he was able to see. And then the religious leaders came to try to shake his faith in the miracle that had taken place in his life. And they said to him, Why are you following this man? And he told them, He made me to be able to see. And they kicked him out of the synagogue. Now here is where we pick up with John 10. After they had put the man out of the synagogue, Jesus found him. I've always said I would rather be outside the church with Jesus than inside the church without him. This man was put out, and Jesus went after him, seeking him, like a good shepherd would, seeking him. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Messiah, the Son of God? And the man said it, who is he, Lord? Tell me who he is, that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, I that speak to them, he. You have both seen him, and you have heard him. Now this sheep of God, who had been blind, heard the voice of the true shepherd and responded. And so then Jesus begins to tell these Pharisees, I assure you, I solemnly assure you that he that does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now the, the shepherds had a, a sort of a communal, um, we would call it in Texas a corral. Uh, they would have a place where all the shepherds would bring their sheep and put them into a, a community sheepfold. Then the, each individual shepherd would come and the porter, the man that kept the door to this corral, this enclosure, would know the shepherd of these sheep and let him call out uh, for his sheep. And then he could take them out of this uh, community uh, fold. Now if a robber came, he wouldn't ask the, the porter's permission. He would go around and try to climb up over a stone fence and get to the sheep. But the sheep wouldn't hear him because the porter knows the voice of the sheep and a shepherd, and he knows who is the true shepherd. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, a shepherd of the sheep, one of these shepherds who comes. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Last night I had a good long talk with one of my sons who is a New Testament uh, teacher out in Samford University in Alabama. And we went over this and he studied at one point in his career over in Palestine. 
And we talked about this, and he told me, he said, one of the reasons that we have difficulty in understanding this passage of Scripture is that we eat a lot of lamb, and we eat a lot of meat. And he said, what people in this affluent society do not understand is that the people in Jesus' day did not eat much meat. And the sheep were grown principally for their wool. Economically, it was much more powerful to raise them, to uh, cut the wool away from them, and to uh, use the wool. And therefore, a shepherd with a flock of a hundred sheep would keep that group of sheep, that flock, for maybe ten years. He spent all of his time out there in the wilds with these sheep. He would get to know every single sheep. He would call one old crooked horn. He would call another because of some feature that he saw in him. He would know him by name. He said that sometimes they loved the sheep so much that they slept with the sheep and the, they let the sheep come into the house. If one was sick, they would take it in and keep it. And they, there grew a great bond. And so when this true shepherd who loves his sheep so much would do this for a sheep, it likens that shepherd to the Lord. They got to know his voice. He told me that one time during World War I, when the Turks were in this part of the world, close to Jerusalem, that there was a biblical scholar who was doing research there, and some Turkish soldiers came in and stole some of the sheep and started off with them. But what they didn't know was this close bond that existed between the Palestinian shepherds. And he said that the Bedouin people, the Palestinian shepherds, got into the rocks on the mountain and began to call their sheep by name. And that the rustlers who had come to take these sheep away were astonished because when the Bedouin shepherd called out the name of a sheep, that that sheep would run out of the group and go up into the rocks to the shepherd and he would call his own sheep back. Now this is the voice of God speaking to us and calling us to himself. He wishes to speak to us about his love for us. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speak Jesus spoke to them but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying. Jesus therefore said to them again, and there are those words again. Uh, it's, uh, one of the authors that I was reading said that this is like the, the cry out in the courtroom to pay solemn attention that something is about to be spoken which is of great importance. Jesus said to them again, I assure you, I solemnly assure you that I am the door of the sheep. Now this is another figure where the shepherd comes up and lays down his own body as the door. And the only way you can get to that sheep inside that closure is to walk across that shepherd. And Jesus is saying, this is the way the true shepherd of God is. And if you remember in the Old Testament, Moses kept sheep. Abraham had sheep. If you remember, David was a keeper of the sheep and wrote that beautiful 23rd Psalm that we have. Ezekiel talked about sheep and shepherds that were false. 
Jesus said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He has come to call the true people of God unto himself. I am the door, said Jesus. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now a door does two things. A door shuts out certain things and it shuts certain things in. And Jesus is saying you may have been a terrible sinner and your past will rise up to haunt you. But when you come through me as the door, I'll close the door on all the horrible things you did in the past and I'll forgive you with an everlasting love from God that all of those horrid memories can't come back and haunt you anymore because you're covered by me, the Good Shepherd. You can come in and I'll close those things out. You can find pasture. You can find peace for your soul, comfort for your soul. Then Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I don't know how many times I've read these words to people. And in Bible study groups, in prayer meetings, and I say, what does this mean about the abundant life? Almost everyone thinks it's money. They think that all your needs are met through uh, some miracle of finance, money, or success. And it's because of, I think, largely because of advertising in America that you might have life and have it abundantly. That is, have everything. This week I had a friend of mine whose name I won't give you call me. We've known each other for years. I gave him a Bible 20 years ago. I don't think he used it very much because he called me this week and, and asked me to come over to the hospital to see him. He'd never been sick. He went to the doctor and had a mole on his arm and it turned out to be melanoma which is a terribly insidious form of cancer. We prayed together and we talked. He said to me, you know, since this has happened, I've done a lot of thinking. And he said things that I thought were important before don't mean a thing to me now. And things that I used to think were very important. He said, I've changed my values, the whole system of thinking. And then last night, after the dinner for Larry Wilson, I spoke to a, another friend of mine who told me of a Chinese doctor who is now a professor at Regent College out in Vancouver, where I had the privilege of going to school one summer. He's the professor of Chinese Christian studies there. This man came from Hong Kong to California to go to medical school. His grades in medical school were absolutely sky high. He set a record in scientific work in medicine that 
startled the people that were in school with him. He graduated just with remarkable, uh, with a remarkable degree of success. People vied for who would get him in what hospital. He started his own clinic, and within two years, he had six doctors in that clinic. Then he went to another hospital that was much larger. He began to get rich, make all the money that he ever wanted to make. He actually bought two brand-new Rolls-Royce automobiles, had a wonderful family. And then a strange thing happened. He didn't know God. He thought he was all self-reliant and did not need God. He thought one day, what's the real meaning of life? I've got all these things. My children are in the finest schools. I have the finest home. I have all this money, but I'm not happy. Then he contemplated death, and he thought, I wish I could die. And then one day he got a pain in his stomach. He went to one of the doctors in their hospital. The doctor said, this is coming from your liver. They did a biopsy, and it came back cancer. He said that he had thought about wanting to die, and now he was told he was going to die, and it suddenly frightened him. He called his old pastor, a Chinese, and asked him, what is the meaning of life? I want to get right with God. I don't know God. I left him a long time ago. And the pastor very wisely told him, I'll come and talk with you, but I want you to know that before you get any place with God, you're going to have to confess your sins to him, recognize your need of him, and let him be Lord over your life. They had a very frank talk together. And his Chinese pastor got right down where the hair is short very quickly. And he said to him, you owe an apology to your wife and to your children. Because you've never taught them about the meaning of life, you've never taught them about God, you've never taught them about the world to come, all you've given to them is money and things. And you need to apologize to them. And this doctor, whose name is Edwin High, Dr. Edwin High, did exactly what his pastor told him to do. His wife said, why don't we risk surgery? Because they say you're going to die anyway. And so he had surgery. The man who did the operation the surgeon came to him afterwards and said, we tested the biopsy by sending it to six different pathologists. All six came back, none knowing that the other was running the test, and said, this is cancer of the liver. 
He said, I don't know what you're going to think of me, but I did this surgery and you don't have cancer. And he said, God heal me. And the surgeon said, well, I don't know about that, but I know it's not cancer. Well, that man gave up his medical career and is now teaching at Vancouver, Christians, on how to establish the church in China, how to make it keep going for the Lord. He came to the meaning of life, and that meaning got to him. Now, let me ask you, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a couple minutes. Well, what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper for you? The Good Shepherd has given his life for you. How much does that mean to you? Last night, Dr. Billy Graham and I were talking. We were sitting by each other at supper, and we had an old friend together whose name was Donald Gray Barnhouse. I don't know if some of you may have heard him, a crusty old Bible teacher from Philadelphia who was one of the most remarkable men for getting the simple truth of the gospel forcefully across that I ever knew. Dr. Barnhouse was preaching once here in the South, and he had to drive down in Florida. He had preached in one church, and he had to be at another church the next day, and he had started driving toward that church. And out on one of those rural stretches of the highway, he had a terrific blowout on his automobile tire. He stopped and got out and looked at the tire, and he was getting along in years then, and he didn't want to have to get all sweaty and, and change the tire. And he saw at a distance a, a man with a dog who was out in a field, and he called to him. He came over, and that was back when $2 would have been equal to $20 now. And he said, I'll give you $2 if you'll change this tire for me. I don't want to get my clothes messed up because I've got to preach in a church down the road here, and I've got to get to another town. The man said he'd be glad to change the tire and sat down and started changing the tire. Dr. Barnhouse noticed that he was very affectionate toward a dog that he had with him. And Barnhouse, who never wasted any time asking a man whether he was a Christian or not, asked this man if he was a Christian. And he said, yeah, I think I am. And Barnhouse said, uh, do you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died for your sins? And he said, yes, I do. And Barnhouse said, do you go to church? He said, no, I really keep the religion in my wife's name. She does all that for it. No, Barnhouse, you wouldn't get by that with that with him. He said, uh, you seem to think a lot of that dog. And this rustic gentry from Florida said, I do think a lot of that dog. He said, once I fell in a quicksand bog, and I was about to die. And he said, that dog wouldn't leave me. That dog whined and crawled and got to me. And he said, by holding on to that dog, I kept from being choked in quicksand to death. And he pulled me out. And he said, mister, if anybody abused that dog, I'd kill him. And Barnhouse said, you really love the dog. Now he said, let me ask you about Jesus. He died for your sins on the cross. How much do you love him? This man thought for a minute, 
And Barnell said, you mean you love your dog more than you love Jesus Christ? He said, no, I don't think I do. And he said, I'm glad you talked to me. He said, I don't want you $2, and I think I'm going to church. Well, the man got someplace with him because he made him think about the true meaning of life and what it was to know Jesus Christ as shepherd. That's the big question that we ask ourselves when we come to this table. Is Jesus Christ really your shepherd? Do you know he died for your sins? If you do, then you're invited to take this supper. But when you take it, it's taking a vow. It's saying to God, I believe that just as really as I can feel this bread and taste it, that just as really as I can take this little cup of grape juice which represents wine and I can taste it, that just that really did Jesus Christ actually bleed and die on a cross for my sins, not just the sins of the world, not just that man in the preacher's story, but my sins. He is my Savior. And therefore, just as really as I can touch these simple bits of bread and fruit of the vine, I'm that really going to let Jesus be Lord of my life. And I don't care what anyone else says or thinks. I'm going to obey Jesus Christ. Now that's what it is. You're taking a vow. Jesus is saying to you, I'm giving you all that I am. And you're saying to Jesus Christ, I take it. And I'm going to give you all that I am. It's the glorious exchange. You give as much of yourself as you know how to give to as much of him as you can understand. Our hymn of preparation is hymn number 106. The king of love my shepherd is. Read the words carefully and make it your prayer to the Lord as we prepare to take the Holy Supper. It's 106. It's the, the number is not printed in the bulletin, but that's the number. Yeah.